Hello and welcome to another episode of the Viva Bastardo show brought to you by the Haggerty Podcast Network. Today we have Chris Rungi here. Rung, Chris Rungi is the founder of Rungi Cars. Basically, he has been making, hand-making, hand-beaten aluminium, or aluminum as you guys like to say, sports cars in his barn in Minnesota. He's self-taught entirely. He's kind of an inspiring story. Uh, and the cars are utterly beautiful. You may have seen them on the Jay Leno show. Uh, so let's get into it. We're good. We're, we're recording, man. Okay, we're live. I, <laughs> we're live. No pressure, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, I messaged on Instagram with, I was like, man, how I know, I just, I just saw it now, man. I just saw it. I'm sorry. No, no, it's good. So look, man, thank you, Chris, so much for, for doing this. Um, so I, I think before we go, we disappear down the rabbit hole of, you know, what you do and, and, and your various obsessions and how it all started, we should talk about, well, who you are and what you do. Um, yeah. So uh, do you want to, do you want to give the, the grand heraldic fanfare or do you want me to do it? It's always awkward talking about yourself, but if you want to do it, you're more than welcome. You, you do it and then I'll tell you <laughs> if you're wrong. <laughs> all right. So, um, You've been basically building custom cars from scratch. This is the executive summary. You've yeah. been building custom cars from scratch uh, in your barn in Minnesota for the last 10, 12 years. Yeah. And um, so what's interesting, man, is that um, when I sort of listened, I, I before I talked to someone, I kind of I stalked them a little bit on the web and I listened to interviews they've done. I, I've been standing outside your house for a couple of weeks. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> that was me. We saw, we saw tracks in the snow. We didn't know who it was. <laughs> that was me, man. Sorry, I didn't mean to alarm. Um, but what's interesting is that when you look back from your vantage point now, it seems to me when you look back at all the things that have led you to this place, that it's all a series of entirely unplanned incidents but somehow it seems like it's almost a foregone conclusion in yeah. terms of where you are. Yeah. 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 It's, that's really well put. It's uh, and it's weird for me to be in the position because I admire people uh, greatly admire people when you're watching people do what they're born to do. And, and I feel like that a lot in, and I don't say that arrogantly. It just, it's, there's something that just feels so right about what you're doing you know that you're not supposed to do anything else and all the steps that led you there it's a really weird place to be and it's humble well, it, well, it, well it's interesting because it's a it's a kind of a paradox because you feel like you're doing exactly what you're meant to be doing yet mm -hmm. everything that led you to this point seems like almost like an accident like for instance yeah. there's this interesting story about you um buying this car of a 912 from this woman in North Dakota and her, yeah. her, her, her husband had died and he had this, all these barns full of, of, of equipment of, of like metal shaping tools, et cetera, et cetera. And that yeah. was that, that, do you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, when we, I, I lived in Florida, I had a business there from 2007 to 2013. Uh, by 2009, I had that business up and humming along. And so we moved back to Minnesota in 2009. To buy our house here, I sold what at that time was my favorite car, 69-912. And you know what you do with your cars. You go through and make them exactly how you want. And I just had this thing so dialed. So in 2011, you know, I'm always on the hunt. 
So a couple of years later, 2011, I see an ad for a 67912 on Craigslist and it was posted, you know, you can see when it was posted, it was like minutes and, and it was, I don't know, I think it was a couple thousand bucks. It was really cheap, which usually means it's completely thrashed. But so I called it, I was the first person to call it, it was the, the classic scenario, of the little old lady. And I've learned over the years to always ask, you know, is there anything else that you want to sell that you might have laying around? And she took a deep gasp and said, my husband left so much junk in our barns. And she went on to tell me he had one of those. Which the moment you heard that must have been like, you were like, junk? What junk? Yeah, exactly. Because growing up, that's my dad and I, that was our favorite thing to do. Like on city scrap day, we would go into town and find pedal cars and old Schwinn bikes. And, you know, people are just emptying out their garages in the 80s um, of these really neat bikes and toys from the 60s. So when I hear junk, I'm excited, you know. Uh, So... She went on to tell me he had one of these wheeling things for shaping metal, and I, I, my jaw just dropped because over the years, um, you know, I, I was exposed through books to uh, the Coach Bill and, and prototype racers of the fifties, like uh, Excellence Was Expected, kind of the portion Bible. Um, you know, they they showed the. There is no more German name than that for a book. Yeah, <laughs> I can almost hear the heels clicking. <laughs> Joe, excellence is expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, so in, in that book, they showed the bucks that they used on the early um, aluminum body cars and whatnot. And so in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is the holy grail. I can get an English wheel and I can build my own car. And it all started to click in my head. Um, having the business in Florida and living down there, I got to go to Amelia Island several times and see some of the cars, you know, the aluminum body cars and in their original state and um, the, the coach work and the stories that were told through the body work just enamored me. I, I, I found it so fascinating. Um, I gravitate, you know, I had the cars that I tried to perfect. I had a 930 slant nose factory car that was like just as perfect. You know, as- I, I, I also had a ni- an 87 slant nose. Oh, you did? Yeah. I, I- yeah awesome car i love yeah, it. i thought it was a terrible car oh really <laughs> because it was a four speed yeah that's what a, a lot of people say that i liked it i like the four speed it was wild. i felt I, I, well i just found it so kind of uh like it looked like it was it looked like it should be this mercurial nimble creature but it was kind of this sluggish you know like a bit of a tractor until the boost was on and then it was just like a like thor's hammer Oh, exactly. Exactly. That's, that's what I loved about it. And it was kind of, you know, all the stories I heard growing up about the boost kick, take, you know, kicking in and how dangerous it was. And I, I wanted that, you know, so right. that's about it. But, um, having those cars and, and this like thriving to have the perfect car and, you know, every detail on it, right. So you could show it in a concourse, like the, those original cars kind of go against that. They, they weren't necessarily worried about panel gaps. They got them as straight as they could, but you know, one fender is an inch different than the fender on the other side. And, uh, I just thought, man, th- this is cool. This is a period in time where after world war two, cause this is 1949 to 1953, that kind of really fascinated me. Um, 
those cars just told such an incredible story of what they had access to tooling wise to build the cars, why they did what they did. And it showed in the work. Uh, and it, it was just so different than trying to make a perfect. Well, it, it, it sounds to me, um, well, I, th- I, th- I feel like you're actually quite a romantic because what that is, it's a story of kind of triumph over adversity, right? It's a, yeah. it's a story of minimal resources, um, but a desire to make something extraordinary despite what little you have. And I actually, I feel that that, that in some ways reflects how you started. It, it does, exactly. And I think it goes back to watching my mom and dad grow up. You know, my parents got married when they were 16. My mom was pregnant with my brother and they've been married. It'll be just 49 years, a few days ago. Uh, and I watched my dad like with, with just passion, take everything he could find and make it better than how he found it. That was like his thing. He bought, saved up and bought this old farm where I, I grew up and built my first car. And it was just an ongoing process of making things better and better and better and making, making it out of nothing, you know? So it's kind of in my genes, in my blood to, take that approach. Um, we, well, so, we, I think we should, we should just clarify for, for I'm not sure I was very <laughs> articulate in describing what you do because you, you build cars from scratch for people yeah. to order. Um, yeah. and they are hand beaten aluminum or aluminum yeah. <laughs> bodied cars that are kind of a synthesis of, I don't know, like so many, um, design ideas from the, almost from the 30s through to the 50s uh, and the 60s in terms of like, you know, 356s and five and, and spiders and, and, and bits of Mercedes and bits of Jaguar and all, but they're all, you, you kind of absorb them all and then excrete out a rungi, if that, yeah. <laughs> which is not, what, not the nicest way of saying it, but it's, but, it, but what you produce is, is this thing that's yours that is reminiscent of other things, but is still yours. Yeah. And they're, yeah. and they're all hand beaten and, and everything is, do you, you work on your own in the shop, right? Or do you have, you don't have, do you have, do you have your kids working at menial, at subservient prices? <laughs> Every, my son, my son is pretty demanding. He, he knows what he's worth. <laughs> so I can hardly afford him. That's uh, the problem with kids now. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know where he gets that. son didn't have a lot of interest in cars until when he turned 16, a couple of his buddies, and thank God this is happening in the world today, a couple of his buddies got into cars and started rebuilding their engines and souping up old pickup trucks. And my son found a $500 BMW E21 and uh, restored that. That was his first hot rod, and he's just hooked. So he's in my opinion, kind of helping him fund that restoration is worth its weight in gold. Because when a kid is passionate about developing those skills, they don't, they don't even know they're developing them. They're just all in, right? And uh, I see that as like, if I were to say, hey, I want to send you to mechanic school, he'd be like, uh, but if I say, hey, I'll help you restore the BMW, you know, you, you pay me back, but I'll help you get it going. And, and then he's all in. And so he... Right more in the last year that he can apply helping me in my shop, then he would probably learn in four or five years, you know, in a trade position, trudging along, fixing Buicks or whatever, you know? So let, let's go back a little bit to the, the, yes. the 
let's get some order here, Chris. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's go back a bit. Uh, you, you, in 2012, you meet this woman from um, from North Dakota or South. Is it so South or North? I forgot. South, um, South Dakota. You, you, yeah. you buy the 912. You get you, you, you get all these tools from her, her late husband. Yeah. Um, and the thought is what? The thought is, I'm going to make a car for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And do you uh, have, is there a design that's been kind of, you've been noodling in your head for years and years and years, or you, you say, okay, I've got all these tools, now I'm going to figure something out. How does that work? Also, I, I mean, I'm speaking, I love cars my entire life, but I'm a total mechanical village idiot. So uh, <laughs> the idea of, like, clearly the idea of making a car for you was not... Um, it was entirely feasible for you. Like it was a thing that was like, yeah, I can make it even though you didn't know if you could make it. Yeah. Um, so I got the tools and in, in my mind, I was like, I, I gotta make something. I gotta, I gotta learn how to shape aluminum. You know, I just, I wanted to experience what the old privateers with their home built, the Eigenbau racers, what they experienced. So uh, I buy all these tools and I buy the 912, bring them back to Minnesota. And I, I started looking at uh, chassis. What could I use for the underpinnings to put this on? Uh, because I didn't want to entirely recreate or, or create my own chassis design. So I started with um, a Volkswagen pan was what I had first intended to use. And there, there was a special that was built in the early 50s. And the name escapes me right now. It'll come to me. But uh, they basically cut up a VW pan and, and rearranged the position. So it was still uh, rear-engined, but the nose was super long. And the car was absolutely beautiful. Um, it was found by the guys who run the Prototype Museum in Hamburg, if I remember right, uh, in the early 2000s in a barn in, in Norway or something. Um, so I had this idea based off of that. Like, So if I took a VW pan and, and I cut it the way they did and rearranged the seating position, and it just got overwhelming. I had the pan. really loved did not work uh, with a rear engine pan like that uh, so and and in the early 50s the volkswagen platform was used for numerous maybe not numerous but uh, several really cool home-built racers and uh and you see these photos of them at the east german i think it was the east german grand east german racing championships right after the war at the starting line. And it's such a cool picture. So these images are burning in my head. I'm doing all this research and I come to the conclusion based off the, of the uh, Glockler VW that eventually turned into the Porsche powered Glockler 1951-1952. Uh, the wheelbase was identical to a standard Formula V race car. You're familiar with Formula V, the open wheels, mid-engine Volkswagen powered car. So I thought, man, well, that's an affordable way to get into this because I really didn't have the budget. You know, I'm thinking it's going to be at least sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars to do this. You can find a Formula V race car that still runs, and and you can zip around in it for thirty five hundred bucks. And uh, that I found being the perfect platform to start this project. So that's that's where I started, and then I didn't have to reinvent the wheel of how this whole mechanical 
assembly, the underpinnings were going to operate. Um, so I found Yeah, but then, so, so you have, you have the Formula V chassis and yeah. then, um, so then how do you go about making something, designing the thing? Like, did you want to, did you, did you initially want to sort of copy something that you loved or did you always want to design something that was yours? Yeah, that's a great point. So, uh, I'm obsessed with like barn finds and the missing car and all this sort of stuff. So a friend of mine who's an artist here in Minnesota, uh, helped uncover, I think it's the number three or it might be the number four Glockler. It was just outside of Denver, Colorado. I'm, I'm going off of memory here. So this might be a little off, but it's in California now. It's, it's shown frequently. Um, but at that time, I think in the nineties, he was there with a friend and, and helped pull it out of, of a uh, long time sitting next to a barn. And he knew quite a bit about the Glockler history. And he told me that allegedly there was one that made it into New York and made its way with a college student across Pennsylvania into Wisconsin and died there. <clears throat> so that's not far from home for me. So I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, you know, if, if we could figure out where this car is, that would be incredible. And, and so the romantic side of me was like, well, what if you kind of create the missing car in your own way? And I didn't have, there's, no, there's nothing I like more than kind of a, a, a like a fictionalized fantasy. Oh yeah. Like there's some, there's something beautiful about making a story for something that, that may or may not exist. Yeah. yeah. Cause it get, well also I feel like in a, in a way it makes the whole project, it makes what you're doing it grounds it and makes it, it gives you a doorway and access into that idea. Yeah, it totally does. And it, when I was building the first car, I would, because I had limited resources, like we talked about, it, mentally you almost go into character. It, it's, right. it was so much fun because it will. So you're like a method actor almost. <laughs> then you know, something that's shown on screen as an actor, you're, you're physically creating something right. with art. And, and I, I don't like replicas. <clears throat> I'm not into the, the replica thing, especially something that's so iconic, you know, with the design of these early cars, the 550 Spider and all this stuff. But um, the idea of, you know, if I was there, what would I have done? That's kind of what drove me along. And then you're opening the history books and, and reliving that excitement that I had when I was a little kid and, and learning this craft. I didn't know how to weld. I didn't know how to shape. Um, so I'm watching videos and friends are coming over and my buddies are like, dude, you got to put this thing on the internet. People would love to see this in <laughs> no way. I don't want to put up with all the haters and, but, uh, it's kind of in interesting. You know, the response when I did start sharing photos, I had, guys who knew a lot more than me reach out, loved what I was doing and my passion for it. And they were like, you need to get this metal. I, I got the worst aluminum you could possibly get to start with the stiffest rigid aluminum that you really don't use for body panels. So I'm, I'm just hammering away and beating myself up. So I learned a lot very quickly, thankfully to these guys reaching out and explaining different things to me. Um, yeah. So that, so, but, but like the, but, but aesthetically, what mm -hmm. did you, did you sketch a thing? I mean, it was a, the first car was a roadster, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Was, oh, yeah, yeah. It was. So okay. The Formula V chassis, it was monoposto. It was so single seat 
Roadster. Yep. Um, and then I did end up building an aircraft type of canopy with a hatch that right, opens. I saw that. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty fun. Um, so how long, how long did that take you to build your first car? You know, it's wild. It, I started December 11th, 2011, and I was driving the car. I, I was talked into bringing it to Cars and Coffee uh, down in Minneapolis in August of that year. So it didn't take that long. Uh, <laughs> this is sorry, man. This is just totally blowing my mind. I yep. mean, you know, I'm I'm happy if I can change the battery on a car. <laughs> you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm impressed with myself. So, okay, so it took you what, like six months ish, yep. seven months, seven months, uh-huh. right? And and the buck. It's funny. A lot of people, are, they're like, the buck must have taken months to build. I had the buck completed and ready to shape my panels to, uh, in 10 days. And I think it's because growing up building skateboard ramps, it's kind of the same idea building the inner, you know, the framing and the transitions. And it was just like second nature from what I did all through the isn't summers. It, isn't it, isn't it fascinating how the stuff, like a little bit of what we were saying earlier, like the things that you did, all the stuff that you do, um, earlier all is as my father would say was grist for the mill all that stuff is is uh things that that, like the idea that you were building skateboard ramps 10 or 15 years later somehow would translate into building a buck for a car that would then turn into what you do for your rest of your life but when you're building skateboard ramps you never had that thought you never thought oh this is going to be a very handy skill for later on down the road it's kind of fascinating right yeah it, it really is To, man. <laughs> so the uh, the cars that you've made, uh, the, I mean, one of the sort of, I guess, signature Rungi um, things is this kind of hand-polished, alu- alu- I always want to say alu- aluminium, and then I realize everyone's going everyone's to make fun of me or no one's going to know what I'm saying. So aluminum. But wasn't the, f- the first car was painted, if I'm not, if I'm, am yeah. I wrong? Or, yeah. So how did you, sorry, go on, man. Yeah. So the first two cars were painted. And right. that was a special thing. The, f- the first car, I was thinking about leaving it in raw aluminum. And and that car, I mean, what I learned, I welded that car with a, a MIG welder. And I don't know if you're familiar with this process, but it's a wire feed welder. You can weld right. one, one inch at a time before it blows a hole through. So I'm just struggling. I'm just, uh, for a couple seconds, laying a bead. And, you know, so this gives you an idea of how the body work was done. It was challenging. But those challenges made me, a, I think, a quicker learner when I got better tools because I knew what not to do. <clears throat> so my uncle, who he's since passed away, but he was probably one of the biggest car influences in my life. He was into hot rods and he was kind of, if I was into something, he'd jump alongside me and be into it with me. And he lived right down the road from where I built the first car. And he would stop by and tell me what I was doing wrong and yeah, just harass me. And so he, he's the one who he said, bring this down to my shop and let's paint it. Let's, let's do this. So, um, and it, it was cool. I mean, the paint turned out beautiful and that process with him. So we bring it to his shop and he, he's an HVAC plumbing and heating guy. So, um, I, I would get to his shop at about six thirty in the morning and he would already be leaving for work, but on the car, he would have notes all over it, magic marker that I'd have to sand off 
you know, I won't cuss, but what the, are you thinking? Why did you do this? You need to fix this. There's notes all over the car. And after like right. a month. It's funny, notes, actually. He's, he was, it's almost like you were, you were writing a short story and he was your editor. Exactly. Exactly. It reminds me of Finding Forrester, you know, punch. <laughs> remember that, that scene? Yeah. yeah. So he, he would come back at the end of the day and I'd still be working uh, hammering and dollying and working the body workout. And eventually there was no more notes, nothing to complain about. And so we got to, um, you know, prime it and paint it. And, uh, we did that with the second car as well. And that was kind of an interesting part of the, the story. I, I ended up showing the first car at cards and coffee in Minneapolis and a gentleman from the area saw it and asked if I could build him a two seater. So after like, six months of going back and forth on how do you even price this thing? <clears throat> uh, we decided to do that. So I, I bought another formula V chassis and then I started doing surgery, cutting the chassis apart, reinforcing it. In, Wait, in hang on. Let's just, let's just go back to the, so you built this car for yourself, but when you built this yeah. car for yourself, you didn't have it in your mind. You didn't think, Oh, you know what? I'd love to turn this into a business or did you? No way. And okay. I, so then I, you, I, so you build this car in six, in seven months, which is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you go to cars and coffee and some geezer comes up to you and says, Hey, I want, I, I want you, I want you to make me a car. Um, did you, did you kind of, were you, were you excited by that? Were you terrified by that idea? Were you, did you think, did it occur to you? Oh, maybe I could turn this into a business. What, what was your feeling when, when he, when this person asked you? Uh, I was excited, but my thought was, in my mind, uh, I can't remember. I, we still had our business at that time and, and had somebody uh, running it. And I would, I would usually go down for two weeks down to Florida and then come back for a week and go down for two weeks. So it was getting to be a little monotonous on that. And so in saying that, like, did I, I had to ask myself, well, do I have the time? And I kind of did because I, I had things taken care of on the business side. Um, do I have the space? Well, I, I was building in my parents' barn where I grew up at the farm. Um, and so I had to ask them, you know, what, what would you charge me if I actually wanted to, to do this and make some money? So we worked out a cheap rent situation. And um, so my thought was, well, I could build one. And at the same time, more people were taking pictures of the first car and sharing them on the internet. And it was starting to, you know, people were starting to write about this thing that I had built. And back to the idea of like starting a little car company. And, and I still feel this way to this day that if I were to start out and say, I'm starting a car company, this is how much capital I'm going to need. These are the designs. Oof, that's, that's tough, man. The, uh, most of those situations fail. They just, they don't survive. It's such a mad do you, thing. Do you, do you find it almost seems like uh, it almost seems like it's um it's almost like you start that you this is a result of peer pressure a little <laughs> you bit. know what i mean you know yeah. what i mean like the the cars that is everywhere on the net people are talking about it, people are talking about how great it is and some guy says you have to make me one and then you feel like you have no choice but to make another car but yeah. was there was there um I mean, I feel like if it would be me, that it's very different when you make something for yourself versus when you make something for someone else. Because mm -hmm. the expectation, you don't know what they're expecting. You don't know what kind of quality they want. So what, what, how did you come, did you, that, was that a worry for you? Or you just kind of just said, I'm just going to make it? No, it wasn't. Um, 
So that, that first customer, Jason, uh, isn't much older than me. And he was super passionate about the same things. Like he saw the same things and, and he was into the, the Shelby, you know, the aluminum body Shelby cars. And so we just, we were cut from the same cloth on that level. Um, and he dug into the history of the Glocklers and original badges. And by the way, the, the car that I was referring to earlier, now it, it came to me, it was the Romesh, R-O-M-E-T-S-C-H. And okay. so- <laughs> never heard of that. <laughs> yeah, it's called the uh, Romesh uh, Porsche. It's okay. cool. And Jason was familiar with that. So we, we kind of dug into this history together. And so I wasn't, I wasn't nervous about that part at all, about the expectations, not being able to um, provide. Well, I guess, you know, I guess you're right, because I, it, when, you, when you're talking to someone who f- you feel thinks the same way you do, you feel yeah. that then, you, that, you know, then they understand what they see, what you see. And mm-hmm. it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Right. Okay. For, and most, most of my builds have been that way. There's been a couple where you kind of have to bridge that. <laughs> In the 1950s, they didn't have Apple CarPlay. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so did he want the same car that you had made or did he want to have something slightly different? Um, he is kind of, we did. So he wanted, my first car didn't have built in headlights. So he wanted headlights. So that changed the aesthetic of the shape of so the So demanding, front. man. So demanding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Jesus, these people. <laughs> yeah. Headlights, turn signals. I mean, come on. Steer, what, steering wheel, I suppose you wanted also. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the original Glockler, it, it had these aluminum covers and these little headlights. They were an afterthought, you know. And, and I, with my car, being out in the middle, with my first car, being out in the middle of nowhere in Minnesota, you know, there's... The, the rules are flexible when you're driving. <laughs> They're suggestions. They're suggestions. Yeah, really, they are. Um, that's changing a little bit in the last, since, since you know, 2012 now. But um, yeah, we wanted headlights and a few things that kind of changed the aesthetic a little bit. And, and you could tell it was from the same, it was the same brainchild, you know, the same, from the same birthing place as the first car, but it was uh, its own design. And, and not really intentionally, but that's, I think, played into a unique factor of all of the cars that I've built, you know, that each one is different, but you can tell they're from the same maker, I guess. Sure. Yeah. So you've built how many cars now? Um, I was asked this a couple nights ago. So it, it's 14 of the cars that I've designed. And then I've rebodied two other cars uh, that were existing, like race cars and that sort of thing. So, um, and I was actually, I was looking at the, the most recent one you were doing, the <laughs> Valeno, is it? Yes. That's yes. interesting, man, because that's the first car that I've seen of yours where I can clearly see, like, you've got like a 50s kind of Ferrari egg crate situation happening on the front, then you've got the cam tail Daytona oh. Coupe thing on the back. So there's definitely, I mean, usually what's interesting, you made that beautiful kind of sinuous um Coupe, the one with the the one that was on Leno. I mean, that must have been a surreal experience going on Leno. <laughs> on Leno. 
Yeah, yeah, that was that was incredible. And the the coupe that I had on there, that was the first coupe that I built, and yeah. it was a Gullwing. And that design really pulled from the very first uh, Mercedes SL coupes um, in the early fifties. They're just right. gorgeous cars. And uh, I mean, funnily the- enough, I I was getting a lot of um, of uh, Ferrari Dino uh, the race car. What was it? The two SP whatever. You know what I'm talking about? The there's a yellow one or the or the P3. That kind of beautiful kind of the the way the glass house is that bubble that sort of sits atop the arch fenders. Yeah, was, yeah. I I mean I love that man. Yeah. Uh, no, I I'm with you. It it's. Um, yeah, so that was a very challenging, very, very challenging situation. Uh, putting when, when it's one thing to put doors on the car when it's a roadster. Um, and then when you get this really shapely round roof and you got to get doors that function on, on these compound curves, hinges, hinges don't like to function that way. Hinges like to be, you know, longitudinally or in line with each other and they don't like round surfaces. So we had to dig into like a spherical bearing situation. So almost like going, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but find spherical <laughs> bearings. Chris, what do you think? Look yeah. at my face. Is this a face of a guy who understands spherical bearings? <laughs> yeah, it's very complicated and right. it'll stress the, the metal. So you have to really, um, watch what you're doing and, and getting all that to work. And it finally did, but it took a lot of trial and error. And I, I build prototype cars. Uh, these, these are everything I do is a prototype. And thankfully the people that come and, and ask me to build the cars understand, like, this isn't something, you know, we haven't made 5,000 of these. You're getting the first one and it's, it has a lot of new ideas and, I try to make everyone better than the last one. Otherwise, I have to quit. Do you feel like you want every design to be slightly different, every car to be different, or do you like the idea of of kind of finding one or two that you can build consecutively? So that's a great (laughs) question. Um, My business mind is like, okay, this worked really well in the last one. Don't change it. And I'm my own worst enemy because I'll be cruising along building the car. I'm like, okay, I should, I got to try something new and just totally derail the, the um, efficiency side of the project by trying these new ideas and getting them to work. And sometimes it's paid off and a lot of times it doesn't. So, well, that's, that's the, that's the artist in you, I suspect, man, because I think that, you know, the excitement is the excitement always comes from a new line, a new curve, a new piece of design, right? That's where yeah. the thrill happens. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and then it shows in the finished product. Uh, someday I hope that all my cars can be lined up. Um, and this is part of the reason going back a little bit that from number three, car number three on, they've all been raw aluminum. Um, because between number two and then when I was asked to do number three and he said, what do you think about raw aluminum? Uh, I thought, well, man, okay. You know, a lot of people use paint to hide shitty work. <laughs> yeah. That's like being naked raw aluminum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're, you're totally vulnerable for better or for worse. And, uh, and I thought, it kind of goes against the grain again, why I fell in love with these cars. It goes against that perfectionist grain 
and where I was at with my life and, and growing up, I was in a lot, I was a competitive athlete. So you had to try to be perfect, perfect, perfect. And I was just like, man, the perfection is in this story of, of this journey, right. Of learning the craft. And so I agreed to make number three raw aluminum and just make the best I knew how to make it. And then now the cars, I think, show the journey of my, uh, you know, my path in metal shaping and learning this craft. And, uh, and I think it's kind of cool. And if they're all lined up someday from start to finish, I think it'd be pretty fascinating. Hopefully I'll be around to be able to see that because the cars are all over. <laughs> Well, the, the raw aluminum thing has certainly become like a, a signature look for you. Has anyone ever said, can I have mine painted? And and what do you say when when they ask that? <laughs> sure. And in this day and age, a lot of people, when they see it online, they just assume it's a wrap. They have no idea, you know, that this right. flat sheet of milled aluminum that I hammered over tree stumps to, to create what they're looking at. And it's just, it's sad that that's the world we live in. Um, but I, it's cool. There's a lot of people who are, are getting back into this. And, you know, I think in the last 10 years, I've seen more guys getting into shaping metal and, and reviving this craft. Do you look back on the, do you look back on some of the early cars and kind of cringe at some of the things you see or not? Yeah. I look at my cars. It's so challenging. I, I see, uh, I've had to learn to accept, you know, where I was at and what I knew how to do and, and where my skill set was just learn to accept it. Cause I, I am my own worst critic. It, it's funny. You'll have people at shows come along and be like, you know, you could, why'd this guy do that? And I'll be standing back in the shadows listening. And I'm, I'm like, they didn't even see the other side. It's way worse. You know, I'm my own worst critic, you know? Uh, so, but you, so, you have, sorry, go on, man, go on. Yeah. You have, you have to learn to accept yourself. And that's been a good part. Like personally, the personal growth that's gone on for me has been massive in doing this. It's as much about the personal growth as it is about just the finished products. Sure, it really is. I often, I often feel like, um, I often feel that not not knowing anything about a new endeavor is a strength rather than a weakness. Totally, totally. Um, uh, I mean, to, to, because if you know what you're about to get into, there are so many daunting challenges that you probably wouldn't. But because you know nothing, it seems it just seems like oh, just do it. Yeah, yeah, it's pure bliss and. And you're running on passion. And, you know, like I said, my welder using a welder that really you shouldn't use, but making it work. And, and um, you know, people come along now and, and say, and I say this humbly, but they'll be <clears throat> so talented. You, you have this gift. And in my mind, I'm like a stubborn, hot-headed, German-blooded fool who, it, I, I mean, I was just... I would angrily beat panels and wheel and beat them. <laughs> but yeah, you can call it talent if you want to. <laughs> to me, it's just a lot of determination. Sure. And it, yeah, that, I think that really what is what drives it is, is that this is probably the hardest thing I've ever tried to do. And I just didn't give up. <laughs> so, so, well, look, that, that, that's an extraordinary and admirable thing, man. And, and I suspect it sounds like a lot of that came from just, you know, you absorb that 
from your father. Um, mm -hmm. But let me just go back. So, okay, so <laughs> you make your first car, show up to Cars and Coffee, yep. the skeezer comes, says, make me one of these cars. So you make him a car. And then, then what? Like, does, how does that translate into 14 cars later? Yes. Yeah, so I was, uh, I, I had taken a marketing gig around the same time at a local company, just hated it, was in an office, crazy environment. It, it could have been. Uh, build this car for Jason. And around the same time, we sold the business in Florida. And so that gave me just enough cushion during a three-year period, um, not to go into the details of this, but I had three years of a little bit of cushion to help pay my mortgage. And um, with the money that I would make from the first car, our bills would be, be covered as long as nothing you know detrimental happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> or whatever. So, I mean... It, it was a shoestring deal. And then I finished the first one. And as these, um, the first customer car, as these articles came out, um, my buddy who runs cars and coffee, I got to be pretty good friends with them after showing the car there. Uh, he set up some photo shoots for the two cars, number one and number two. And these photos just turned out beautiful. And so the gentleman who commissioned number three saw them online and, uh, his father raced in the, uh, Carrera across Mexico back in the fifties and in like an Oldsmobile or something, you know, some big boat. And so he, he was a good fit for the third car and asked to have it in raw aluminum. And so that one, the car started to take longer and longer as I learned more details about how to do this craft. You know, now I think about the first one, I, I don't think I could build a car in six months. It's just not possible. <laughs> all the details you need to cover. And so how long does it take to how long does it take to build a, a car for you now? Now, if I were to build the flyer, that's what I call that first body style, the flyer. I could probably build one in in uh, twelve about a year, twelve months. Yeah, start to finish. Um, the so do you have a, do you have a do you have a waiting list now? Yeah, yeah, I have uh, I have four cars that I'm client cars that I'm working on in the shop right now of my own designs. Um, there two I have the Viper, the Villano. That start that started as a Viper, Dodge Viper of all things. Right. And right. Uh, two of my current designs and then another new design that we're doing. Oh, I'm interested to see what that is. Is that all top secret? Uh, not entirely. We're it's such a top secret ish. A, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a neat situation because this, customer, he's so excited about, about this project and he's excited about my son starting to come in that he's kind of started just dealing with my son and telling my son, Finn, <laughs> he, he, even this weekend we saw him, he said, Finn, just do what you want to do. Design the car. So at 17 years old, my son is working with my client to design, <laughs> uh, based on the Abarth Carrera GTL, but in a oh, spider, spider form. They were never built in a spider form. Um, so that's kind of loosely what we're thinking, but, you know, pulling it entirely rungy based off of that, you know, our, our own style. So my son has started, started to 
uh, lay out the templates for building the buck. And he sat back and drawn out the shapes in full scale on the chassis. It's been cool, man. Really cool. Man, that's, that, that must be utter, utterly glorious to see your kid just, just kind of get into the thing that you're into and, and, and presumably be really good at it too. <laughs> tight family unit and my take has always been is to just have the tools around and not not really force them to use them uh when it gets into this kind of stuff because you have to be interested in it to be good at it if if i would have said when finn was 12 years old you know get up to the shop and help me and in some cases i did need his help and he would drag himself out there but uh you really have to let their passion kind of like what you're saying um without having any prerequisites or educational uh influence directing you i think it's the most beautiful thing to just watch it come alive on its own for sure man you can't you can't you can't instigate it yeah i mean i'm sure that in i mean from what it sounds like it sounds like uh finn started because his mates were were into cars and that's what got him started and then he, at some point he must have realized holy shit my dad is making these incredible sports cars why am i not <laughs> looking at what he's doing yeah yeah and with the valeno project he's he's really started to chime in and give his opinion and stand back and look at it and and point things out that he he suggests and it's just funny. It's so funny. A kid that was not into cars two years ago, he was hunting and fishing and snowboarding. And now he's, he's here giving suggestions on how to, <laughs> how to make things. Right. And the other, so how did, uh, sorry, go on, man. Uh, the other cool thing with him getting into this, this BMW restoration that he did, um, after he got the car done, he took it out and taught, I don't know how many kids he's taught how to drive a stick shift, how to a manual transmission. So now you have all right. these kids, they're all looking for old BMWs to, to, you know, hop up and, and turbo and do all this crazy stuff. So the, the, the passion and, you know, this, this car culture, there's still hope for it in saying all of that. Oh, I think so, man. I think so. I mean, I mean, it's, it, look, if you get into it, it's such a visceral and, and glorious experience, especially when you're a kid. And there's so many things that, that are exciting about it. The, the smell of it, the sound of it, the feel of it, the, you know, all of it. As, as a 17-year-old, why wouldn't you like that kind of stuff? But of course, you know, I'm a massive car nerd. You're a huge car nerd. So, of course, it makes perfect sense to us. <laughs> For a lot of people, they just look just like we're crazy. But uh -huh. So, that, the Leno thing, I mean, that was that kind of surreal? Did, did he call you up or did some, like, minion call you up and go, we'd like you to be, you know, on the, the Jay Leno show and all the rest of it? So Jay's executive producer, first of all, I got, I got this email and it was, it was allegedly from Jay's executive producer. Uh, um, my circle of friends in high school, like our thing was to just prank each other. I thought for sure, right, I called my buddy. I'm like, dude, you suck. Why would you do that? He didn't, <laughs> uh, so I go back to the email and I start to do what you did. Look up these names. I was like, geez, it really is. It's a real thing. So, um, yeah, I, I had, I never imagined that I would bring a car out there and show it to Jay and go over all these details. It was, it was so much fun. And Jay is so knowledgeable and so passionate. It's just like you and I talking, you know, you're, you're just, it's in your blood and, and, uh, 
it was kind of neat when, when we showed up to Jay's garage, he wasn't there. So we did like uh, a couple hours, maybe almost three hours of a tour with one of his buddies. And then Jay showed up and Jay starts talking to us and he's like, well, did you guys open the hood on such and such a car? And I said, no. And he's, oh, come on, you got to see this engine. And we went like another three hours with Jay going through all these different cars. And he was having us, you know, hand crank to start these old uh, uh, coal powered steam cars and all kinds of cool stuff. Did that change your business at all after the, the car had been on, after you guys had been on? Oh, it created a lot of brand awareness. So I think, um, like there, there were several people who saw the cars on the show, uh, and reached out, you know, with interest to, to do something. A lot of people just, uh, tons of people reached out just to say, man, don't stop. You're, you're going somewhere really special. Don't stop. And that's kind of cool. You know, I've, I've, uh, just been blown away by how inspirational what I'm doing is that's another thing where I, I just, it, it blows me away. I, it's hard to grasp, but, um, well, there's something, I, there's something, there's something, um, when you do, when you make art or you do something like what you're doing, which is, it's an extraordinarily solitary, uh, endeavor. And yeah. so when you're making it, it, when you're making art or when you're making cars the way you do, you never really, I think, expect it never occurs to you that other people will be interested in what it, you do because it, you you know you love it but it but and then when people are it always seems shocking right it, exactly that's that's perfectly described to the point where um i took one of my cars out to monterey car week in california and just again total shoestring budget i i contacted a buddy who lived out there and he kind of has this little gig where he he has a guide service for Monterey and he tells you kind of where to go if you want to experience this and that. And I, I said, Mike, I have no money. Where can I go to, to show this car? Cause by now this was like 2016 or 2017 and I was all in and I was like down to zero in the bank account. I had just sold my first car to, to get a little bit of money to get out there. And one of my customers uh, bought a set of rare carburetors from me to help me raise some money to get out there. So I get out there and Mike says, go to, uh, what is it? Baja Cantina, if I remember right. Um, he, he told me these different spots to go and park the car, free, free places, get there early and just hope and pray that they'll wave you in because they don't let everybody in to these parking lots and stuff. And everywhere I went, it was with the first RS that I built. I got waved in and then waved in a little further and waved in a little further and, until at, at this one place where I really gained a lot of business. Um, I was parked right at the front next to the main stage where they had music playing. And it's, again, it's just such a weird thing. It's like, um, you know, kind of like very, very favorable, you know, this art and it, it blows me away. And when I was there, this is where I was heading with this story. This lady came up and on, on social media, her and her husband saw that I was going to be there and she had tears in her eyes. She was bawling when she saw the car because she had followed along her and her husband as I built it. And I was just like taken back by this whole thing. And it really hit me then. It's way more than just building cars. You know, it's, it's, I don't know what it is, but there's, 
there's more. Well, look, I, I think that you, you know, you, you've done something kind of amazing. And also it's kind of, it's almost, it's almost like this Homeric odyssey, like this, it's like Greek mythology, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's this, there's this guy in a, in a, in a shed in Minnesota, he's just doing it all from scratch. Like, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's inspiring to people. Yeah, you know, it's not, you're not. It's not some rich geezer commissioning a, a, a famous Italian coach building house to make him a car, and it's going to cost him seven million dollars, and he has to provide them with a Ford Ferrari, you know, Enzo as a base, or whatever it happens to be. You know, you're, you're. It's a, it's a, it is really a beautiful story, oh, and and, a, and it's a particularly American story, really. Yeah, yeah. That's it's funny you say that. My uh, my mother in law sent me. Um, I think it was a link to a Cadillac commercial, how Cadillac started in the home garage. She was all excited. She's like, this is just like you, the American, you know, the American way. It's what it is. I mean, look, it's in, I think in in a, in a weird way, it's a story that the country needs now more than ever, because, you know, there's such a, I think that, I mean, not to get political, but I think we've forgotten a little bit about the things that America can offer. Yeah. And you are one of the things that America can offer, this idea that you can you can kind of make something from nothing. It's such an American wow. idea. So it's man. beautiful to see it, man. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the truth. And that conversation, you know, behind these thick, really thick closed doors of my shop here, <laughs> uh, we have these conversations. And, and one of the things I tell these guys, I'm like, you know, we got to, we got to look at where, where all this stuff comes from our tooling and, you know, and, and ultimately in saying like you walk through your shop and you look at your tools and where they're made and it's concerning and we've not not to get political, but a little bit like we do need to bring this back, this, this spirit back to our country and, and really recognize that we, we can create a lot here and innovate and, uh, and we just have so much going for us. That, that we need to foster and and keep going, you know? Yeah. I'll, I'll stop it now. No, going, going too deep. <laughs> no, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. It's, it, 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 is, it is pretty inspiring. I mean, you know, I guess I, I, I think about... It's funny. I was thinking about what you were saying about replicas uh, earlier. Um, this is a... To- this is completely tangential, actually, this this line. But... but, but the thing that replicas, I, I don't like replicas only because they make me wish for the real thing. Uh-huh. And they make me sad that I don't have the real thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but, but what I love about, and, and I think about the designs you've made, um, and that's what's kind of lovely about them, is that they're, they're not replicas at all. They're, they're, they're entirely you. And, and as you say, you know, you can see, you can see, it, it, it really is like a painter's brushstroke. You could, when you look at a, when you look at Edward Hopper or you look at, you know, who, Van Gogh, whoever happens to be, you recognize mm-hmm. their style. And when you look at your work, you can recognize your style. Um, and that will always be in the cars you design. But I guess going forward, are there, do you always have a list of ideas or designs that you'd like to, you'd like to try? Or at, when someone says, okay, I want you to make me a car, then you kind of work with them to figure out something slightly new. Um, yeah. So I have a, I have a, a notebook in the shop here of drawings, probably right. maybe a hundred or, or more than a hundred drawings from all the way back when I was 16 years old to just a few months ago. And, um, they're my own ideas and designs, uh, 
I would like to see, there's some of them in there that are really special. I'd like to see hopefully come to fruition. And then, and I do like this newest one that my son Finn is kind of working with. Um, that customer and I went through a lot of those and pulled those out and, and we have them sitting by the chassis as, as starting points. Uh, so yeah, I, I've got a lot of ideas burning and, you know, I've right in uh, early 2020, when this whole thing hit our country, uh, I, I just had this burning idea to build uh, a chair using the, the tube structure. Oh, I that saw I, that man. Yeah. And so that I really like making furniture and I have a lot more furniture ideas, but it's just, do you like, do you like Bauhaus design? Cause it's so Bauhaus that design, man. I love it. It's beautiful. I had never, this is, Terrible to say. You've never I, heard of it? I'd never heard of them until I built that chair. And all these people are like, Bauhaus, Bauhaus. And so I look. <laughs> right. Well, look, I mean, there's a mixture of like, er, there's this sort of aerodynamica uh, period of history in the in the 20s and 30s but, and, and Bauhaus. It's a mixture of all of those things, but it's it's really beautiful, man. Really, what I want to know is, uh, when is the SUV happening, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> well, it wouldn't be an but I do, I have a drawing of, uh, you know, the, the Porsche, I think it's called the Jagdwagen, the the 1950s, basically like Volkswagen thing kind of looking. Oh yeah, yeah, the like the the one that, the military thing with the the yeah. those with the kind of corrugated sides. Yes, exactly. Yeah, those look so cool, man. Oh, for sure, for sure. I have some drawings that are similar to that. That would be my style of SUV. I, <laughs> right. I'm I'm a big military vehicle fan i had a unimog i sold it i wish i never would have sold it man i'm a huge man i love unimogs they're yeah. so great oh that that truck it was it's yeah. low it was a 1967 uh 404 if i remember right um so it's 48 miles per hour downhill with a tailwind you know <laughs> right. but we loved that truck and so i have i actually use some unimog parts uh in some of my cars. <laughs> didn't you, wait, didn't you have a, didn't you have a, well, you know what my dream is? My dream is to have, if I had the money and the space, is to have, a, is it a MiG-51 from the early 50s? Uh, that the, One of the very early MiGs, just as a, as a piece of static art oh, in the house. That would be amazing. Just all, stri- all stripped down, like all the paint, just raw aluminium, just sitting there. Because I, I, I find there's incredible beauty in industrial things like military hardware you know like a like i in my house i have i have a, a cosmonaut suit but oh. like like <laughs> that I got in the in the late 90s but but i love like you know like i would love to have uh, like an old i i was for a while i was trying to find like small size missiles that uh-huh. i could acquire just to have in my well that's which is why when you at the beginning of the 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 podcast where you walk we were trying we were walking through your shop i saw that drop tank Yes. Yes. Because I was yeah. trying to buy one. Those are beautiful, beautiful things. I know. Yeah. I, I love the old military stuff. And um, just a lot of that, that early aircraft. Wait, sorry. I was going to go back to what didn't one of your cars have a MIG, a MIG uh, gauge in it? has uh, uh, the clock out of a MIG. That's yeah. so great, man. Are yeah. you not tempted to see, oh. if this was me, I would say, can we not have more, like, can we not have more MIG uh, avionics in there or gauges in there or something? Yeah. Is that not a tempting thing? 
Oh, for sure. We, we did actually, I, I just recall in that same car, we used the Magneto um, start switch from the MIG as well. I, I rewired it to operate as the, as the ignition. Oh, oh, that kind of stuff is amazing. Oh, I love that stuff. Yeah. And and we used all the switch gear because that I didn't see this earlier with, with my number one car building that canopy for it. Um, just the feeling like you're in an old fighter plane. I'm part of me wants to get my pilot's license and, and go down that rabbit hole, but being on four wheels on the ground and still getting a little bit of that is, is a safe place for me. And that's what I wanted to experience with my first car. Right. Yeah. I know it's so funny to talk about the pilot's license thing. I've also been kind of vaguely low-key obsessing about that for the last year or so. Yeah. But then, I, but then, but then I keep looking like, okay, so if I got my pilot's license, could I afford? Could I buy a Spitfire? <laughs> you know, I go, I go right up there. Or could I get like a Mig, a, an early Mig? Or but the the you know, if I was, I, I suspect if I was you, then it would be fine because I would figure out how to make it work and I'd figure, <laughs> I'd make the parts myself to fix it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, because I'm me. I wouldn't know how anything works, so I'd have to have some geezer who would fix it for me. Yeah. Oh, man, it gets expensive really fast. Right. Uh-huh. There is such extraordinary beauty, though, in those early, the early 50s jets, uh, just mm-hmm. the kind of industrial design of them is amazing. Yeah, yeah. I take a lot of my influence from that, and it's kind of neat. There's, there's air shows around here with a lot of warbirds, and I've become friends with a, a guy who restores and collect, has his own collection of warbirds. So I, I'm able to go into these places and just kind of take it in and take pictures and get all sorts of ideas and influence from uh, that era and design idea. One of my secret kinky fetishes, <laughs> if I was going <laughs> to, is exposed rivets. Yeah, on cars, like on, on a car. But I mean, I love that on the on the early airframes, but on cars, it's such a beautiful thing. I think. I mean, I know that's aerodynamically not so great, but who cares? Uh, it looks so good. No, that's my uh, my first car. Um, I, I designed it so it was basically three sections: the tail, the fuselage, or like the cockpit section, and the nose, and they're riveted together with exposed rivets. Right. Entire tail on the first car, and actually number two as well. Um, was riveted panel by panel. I was almost wanting, because I didn't know how to weld, I was wanting to rivet everything together, just shape these panels and rivet everything instead of welding the seams, which I, I may still do someday. I think our Listen, man, if I, if, if I, if I ever ask you to make me a car, man, it's going to be all, it's going to be rivet palooza. <laughs> I, I would love it. I would love it. Because there's just, there's just something really beautiful about um, seeing that on a car. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, could, you look at like the C types, the D types, the way you see all the rivets and stuff. It's just, I don't know. And then it just, I don't know what it is about little details like that for me that, that just I find utterly beautiful. Maybe it's, I guess, because it's such a, it's, 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 the craftsmanship is so visible in a way. gives you this this uh, feeling of of strength and you know when you see a row of rivets um, right and it, yeah it does something visually there's a lot of real the other other thing that I've noticed in building these cars there's so many subconscious aspects to the car that you don't even know that are happening when you especially when you see it in raw polished aluminum it's mind-blowing if, if I really sit there and I look at my cars and I say okay what's hitting me and how it's making me feel and 
whoa, it, it's a trip when you start to look at it that way. And I do that with the designs as I'm building the car and then the finished car as well. And that, that's part of the process where I have to just kind of accept things, if, even if I'm not, you know, or go back and change them. You know, I do that too a lot. Uh, I, I mean, all the way cars being loaded in the trailer, the transport to go to the customer, I'm in there like golfing and hammering and my, my transport driver and I get along really well. So he, he knows my <laughs> obsession. <laughs> It's fascinating, man. I mean, you know, not to get all the, uh, not to get all the, uh, all left coast, uh, left coast elite, but or west, uh, east coast elite, whatever it is. But, but it, it sounds like um, when you make things, you're, you're kind of, you know, you, you're discovering aspects of yourself each time you make a car, and, and also it sounds like you're, a, you're a consummate fiddler. I, I was when I uh, years ago when I worked in advertising, I was an art director. I was I was actually exactly like that. Like the the, the ad would have I work on a print campaign. It would be on its way out the door to the printer, and I would be like, "Hey, let me just." I was always trying to like fiddle and let me just move this typography and just adjust one last. And they just I used to make people crazy with my constant fiddling. I was always because it was always just you could always do it a little bit better. And, and if you and the and the more you looked at it, the more you realized there were gaps and spaces creatively that could be fine tuned and with and honed till they were perfect. Totally, totally. It, even to the point where I've gone back and seen a customer's car and I'll remember something that I wanted to do or a little piece that I wanted to add and I'll bring it with and <laughs> awkwardly say, hey, would it be okay if I just... And they're like, go on. Right. <laughs> yeah, but that's, be that's beautiful, man. I mean, that's, that's a really lovely thing. I mean, you know... It, the, the dumb thing to say is it shows how much it matters to you. Oh, geez. Yeah. It's so much that, I mean, I've, I've driven from here to Texas overnight to help a customer with his car. Um, he was having some trouble figuring stuff out. It's just, it's like your baby's down there and, and I want them to experience all the pleasure that I experience when, when I built my first car, that's like the whole thing. I just, the world would be a better place if everyone almost went deaf, you know, knuckling behind. <laughs> so do you feel like, um, is there going to be a, a point where you feel like, okay, I'm gonna have to hire some people to work with me or you d do you never want to get to that point? I, you know, people, I get this question, like, how are you going to scale? And it used to freak me out because I'm, I'm an entrepreneur and I've had that business in Florida and, and we scaled in a small sense and had five teams running. It was in the petroleum industry. need the right people to show up at my doorstep because I don't really know who to hire or how to do this. And I haven't really hired anyone. I had some buddies that would come in and help from time to time. And it's been awesome. I, they still show up, you know, guys show up and give me a hand. Um, so, but I'm still like today I'm here flying solo. My son will come in and help probably later in the afternoon because he's still in school. Uh, but maybe you don't need to scale. Well, so yeah, that's, that's where I was going with that. that I had to accept that, you know, you don't always have to scale. You can raise your prices because ultimately <laughs> when you scale, you're trying to, the bottom line is you're trying to make more money or at least stay in business. And in this, as an artist, it's very exclusive. Not everyone 
loves what I do. That's a good thing. You, if everybody loves what you do, it turns into McDonald's or whatever. You know, I, I don't know, something like that, where it's just this mass market thing. And you need people sure. to hate what you do. Because when people hate what you do, I think Elon Musk did this with the Cybertruck. Like, people loved it and hated it. And people are still arguing about it online now. And that, that kind of controversy, I think, is good in an artistic sense to a degree. So um, I just thought, well, I should, I should try to charge more if I can and just see, you know, where the ceiling is. And slowly I've been doing that. I've, I've had to do it, especially as you get more meticulous, you know, the, the uh, 800 hour build that was the first car is now usually a 2000 to 3000 hour build. And, you know, my wife and I got a cup of coffee yesterday and it was $8 for one drink. Everything getting more expensive, you know, so we had this, thing where um having a huge team i think would be kind of cool or having a team would be cool and i just don't want to scale and, and get really big so there's a balance in there and in saying all that i have a guy coming from california this week who just showed up pretty much on my doorstep and said i'm moving to minnesota i said why and he said because he wanted to be in Minnesota. <laughs> His family's moving from California here with him and he wants to learn how to shape metal and, and got to know him a little bit while he was here. And, and I think he'd be a great candidate. And, and my idea is not to have I mean, if somebody wanted to stick around for a lifetime and, and see this whole journey out with me, that would be awesome. But I've always thought of this place, this building that I built here as a think tank and a, a a jumping board, basically uh, a launch pad to get people where they're supposed to go, you know? And if, if I can help people achieve that, that's it, man. That's, that's what it's all about. Well, I think you have Finn for that. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I suspect he will be taking over at some point. <laughs> I think he could. Yeah. And, and my daughter's, you know, she's uh, upstairs. I have my interior, all my sewing stuff. And she's making clothing up there and designing bags and luggage. And so who knows where this could go? Maybe I should torture for my own uh, clothing brand that I'm running. <laughs> I need some help. <laughs> well, look, man, it's, it's been such a, a joy talking to you, Chris. Honestly, man, it's, it's, it's been a real honor. And, and I don't know, man, I, I, I mean, you know, I, I, just, I just admire what you do and I, I i love your kind of this is the this is the awkward bit where i say all these nice things and you have to be and then you have to you have to be all humble about it are you ready <laughs> <laughs> i'll try uh, i i, I appreciate mean, it yeah no man not honestly i mean it, it's just as i'm as you know it, it's inspirational and it's just and it's 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 lovely because a lot of the time you i see people making things but um not to sound like a snobby bastard, but but the things they make that you know they're just they don't have the right kind of source. That they're, they're not um, they don't they don't uh, hit the right frequencies in terms of how the how these things look in terms of how what the soul is of the thing. Uh, but what yeah. you're making is 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 really is beautiful. But it's also and it's as I said earlier, it's reminiscent, but it's also you, and that's yeah. the most important thing. It's easy to copy shit. 
I mean, you know, it's easy to make a replica or something that looks almost exactly like something else. But to make something that, to, to, to create a different word, to create a new language that is yours, but also incorporates some of the old words is really extraordinary. So I'm Thank just, you. I'm, yeah, man. I mean, I just, it's really, I, I love what you do. And, I, and, 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 you know, thanks again for blathering on to some random English geezer. <laughs> awesome. I really appreciate it. I'm glad we got to chat. Yeah, man. Do you ever come to New York? Um, I think never. A long time. No, I used to. I used to fly in there all the time when I snowboarded in a different right. light. Yeah, up, going up to Burlington, up in Vermont. And that right. But uh, yeah, there's there's a couple of shows out there. The Bridge. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, my cars have been there a few times, but I haven't. Been I've there. seen them there. Uh, oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, man, so, you you should you need to you need to you need to be at the Bridge. Yeah, I think so. I, I would. Because you know how you're talking about how you, you know how you were talking about how, uh, like you park your car and you got all this business. The bridge is 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 a critical thing. I would imagine you'd get an endless amount of commissions if you were just standing around the bridge. Oh, that would be that would be awesome. And the the other cars there too are like just mind blowing. You know, sure. It would be. Well, it's a it's a really beautiful event, man. It's a lovely place. I know. Actually, I, I'm fr- the guy who who started it. He was on one of the. He was on the earlier uh, episode. Uh, he's uh-huh. a lovely guy, and um, but it's not like a snobby car show. It's just kind of a place where you're seeing these beautiful cars, man. Because nothing's being judged. There's no competition. It's uh-huh. not that kind. It's there's no. It's just about the beauty of the thing. That's- there's no. There's no competitive vibe, which is really lovely. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's that's great. Now I really yeah. want to go. <laughs> yeah, let me know, man. I, I can. I, I'm happy to introduce you and 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 all the rest of it. So, but thanks. anyway, look. Thanks again, man, for yeah. for coming on. Uh, and good luck. Good luck with everything. I want to see. I want to see the next one. All right. Sounds great. Have a great day, Phil. Oh, you too, man. Yeah. Bye bye. Right.